Welcome to Cocktails Over Coffee, a podcast that spotlights truly inspiring individuals that have taken a leap of faith by leaving their corporate careers, otherwise known as their coffee, to pursue their passion, otherwise known as their cocktail. I'm Janae Green, and I'm so excited to be here with travel and culture writer, Katie. Welcome, Katie. Hi, thank you for having me. Of course, so excited to chat. First of all, how are you doing? How's travel going right now? Is it, is it going? <laughs> It is. I mean, it's definitely a complicated time for travel. Yeah. But I do feel that the desire to travel isn't going to go away. And I think that, you know, what makes it an unknown moment for travel is also what makes it unknown for every industry in the sense that I believe, you know, when the lockdown first happens, people, you know, I'm a delusional optimist, so I don't Mm -hmm. mind early deadlines, but oh, it'll be normal by summer. And now we're sort of looking at fall of next year. So safety protocols and as people sort of emerge and this might become the new normal, figuring out ways that you can travel safely, not just safely for your own well-being, but to protect others. So that's something that is going to be interesting. But um, for me, just personally, you know, I focused a lot on international travel. Okay. And I grew up traveling all all across the U.S. And Mm -hmm. I hadn't been writing about it as much because I was prioritizing new experiences for a couple of years and now sort of finding ways to look at places that you might have overlooked and Mm -hmm. seeing different, you know, different sides to it. And since the pandemic, about halfway through, I relocated to Wyoming and that's been really great for travel because I think more and more people are discovering Oh yeah. I went to Wyoming for the first time this summer (laughs) and I think it's amazing. It's beautiful. And it was so funny. One of my friends texted me. She's like, is everyone randomly going to Wyoming? And I was like, yeah, yeah, actually you may be right. And I feel like, I mean, you probably know why, but it's a beautiful, beautiful place to visit. Well, it's the least populated state in the nation. Mm. So it's really easy to socially distance. And you know, the Rockies are as, as gorgeous, in my opinion, the Tetons where I am in Wyoming are the most beautiful mountains in the world. And a lot of people didn't prioritize them as much. I think growing up or just in general, you know, there's the Alps, there's the Andes. And there's this funny meme, like it looks like the Mykonos crowd discovered Yellowstone this summer. And I do think that that's (laughs) totally true. And I think that that's one good thing that could happen. And I mean, I think travel is great for building empathy and understanding yeah. and, you know, sort of taking a new look at America. We've never been more divided. And I mean, mm-hmm. fingers crossed, knock on wood, depending on the outcome of the election, <laughs> yeah. you know, being able to do more domestic travel and hopefully there's a moment where we can all come together. Yeah. But I think that definitely like, it's so hard to travel anywhere from within the U.S. You know, yes. everyone in Europe is always like, I'm so well-traveled. And it's like, well, going right. from London to France is the equivalent of going from New York to Cape Cod. It's so, so easy. In, yeah. yeah. And it's hard. And, and it's honestly like domestic airline travel, airfare is really expensive in the US more so mm-hmm. than other places as well. So I think that people are like, all right, I've got one week rather than going to, you know, somewhere in the United States, I'm going to maybe go to Greece. Right. And I think that that has changed a bit too. Yeah. So, okay. Let's start from the beginning. First of all, cheers. We've got our cocktails. Cheers. <laughs> Um, Disclaimer. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So tell me where you started out. What were you doing for work? What was your nine to five? I started out at the very, very beginning of my career, mm-hmm. working at a newspaper company. And I started out doing tear sheets for advertisers. And then I started writing obituaries, which 
truly working in newspapers, I think yeah. really helped my career now, but also, you know, working in obits at the very beginning, it's like, this is the last word. Like you don't want to get this wrong. Right. And then I worked <laughs> as a reporter and I would do that during my summers before college. And then the summer of my, of my, after my junior year of college, I got an internship in an advertising agency mm-hmm. and you know, I, I didn't love it, but I was graduating in 2009 during sort of the peak of the recession. And everyone was like, oh, this is a great job. And, you know, you know, you, like to grow up through Spring Street, like a river that don't know where it's flowing. I took a wrong turn and I just kept yes. going. <laughs> like advertising was never really, I was never quite great at it. I worked yeah. as a media planner, which is where a lot of like, I think a lot of people can end up where they're not really sure where they want to go. Yeah. And, you know, I got a job offer and I worked in advertising for a decade, essentially. Okay. I, my nine to five was like, you know, it wasn't advertising truly like creative advertising. It was more like deciding where ads go, which is yeah. a very mathematic, like precise formula. Yes. And I just have never had a head for numbers ever. And it wasn't really something that played to my strengths. Okay. But the idea of becoming, and I always wanted to become a writer, mm-hmm. but the idea of being a writer, particularly, it was sort of an in-between moment where magazines were at their peak and then they weren't. Yes. And digital was sort of the wild west. So it was almost like you're going to get an editorial assistant at Cosmo or Vogue or whatever, or you're not going to be in the field. Mm -hmm. So I just thought to myself, okay, I'm going to work in advertising. And my long-term goal was, and then I'll move in-house in a magazine and I'll work in marketing. And then I don't know how I expected this to happen, but Mm -hmm. somehow, you know, I would transition once I was in the house from marketing to edit, which is not quite as it's simple a, as it sounds. Yeah, it's yeah. quite difficult. It's difficult. And I mean, now due to like branded content and influencers and, you know, it's, it's a merge. The line has two. become more blurred than ever. For sure. But per- particularly at that time. So I was really bad at my job. Mm. Like literally got fired from each one because I was so oh horrific, but I kept falling upward. And that's yes. something I have to say about breaking off on your own. There is sort of a, an, a safety net when you're working in a corporate environment where there are hundreds of media planner positions. And I just saw my future being just like a mid-level executive and being miserable. Yeah. So what I did sort of how I got, I would say, are we going to move on to how I got out of it? Yeah. Yeah. Or- yeah. Let's, I mean, let's go right You're you're headed right there. So how did yeah. you get out of it? And, and when, like how long were you doing the media so- planning? Yeah. So I, and this is so funny because it wasn't even that long ago, but I'm like, what year did I graduate from grad school? But yeah. I, when I was 25, and like, let's be honest here too, I was a hot mess because I would, you know, I think everyone has something that torments them. I think it's from mm-hmm. Sex of City where it's either like, it's your boyfriend, it's your job, or it's your apartment. Yes. So at that moment, it was really my job. You know what I mean? And it was uh-huh. like, I would get drunk and cry and be like, I'm never going to not do this. And for me, I mean, I'm a Capricorn. I don't <laughs> like literally my like religion, my astrology, but who, what I do really defines played a huge role in who I am and who I view myself to be just because your job, what you do every day is so much of your life. And if you're doing something you hate nine to five, let's be real, nine to 11, five days a week. And I felt parts of my personality changing. I sort of at work, suddenly people were like, Oh, she's so quiet, which no one would ever say about me. But Mm -hmm. like, I just, I, I felt like I was losing myself. Yeah. So I applied to graduate school and I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And I was like, I'm going to get my master's degree in literature. So in college, you know, my thesis was on like suicidal American poets. I love literary criticism. Okay. And I was like, I'll go in like this. I, and people were like, well, maybe you should get your PhD. 
but I'd heard so many sort of horror stories about getting a PhD and not getting a teaching position. Yeah. Plus, even though I feel like in another life, I would have been an amazing poetry. I would have done post-poetry American poetry oh, I professor. Love that. So interesting. Yes. I think that that would have been another life path for me. I just yeah. wasn't sure that I wanted to live in like upstate New York and do that. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And like, I really liked being in New York City. So I applied to graduate programs in New York and London and master's programs. Mm-hmm. And I applied to like a couple schools in London. And then in New York, I did like Columbia, New School, NYU. Wait, let me ask you a question. And- was, was grad school a way for you to get out or was it always a part of the plan? Like, why grad a way to a way to get out for me okay. because here's my thing is that I knew that I wouldn't regret getting this degree yeah even though I think everything is so overpriced 100%. at the very least yeah. one thing I read that was really helpful to me was don't go to grad school just to get that raise or to get that career shift because it might not come right only yeah. go to grad school if you know that you will actually enjoy the process yes and for me I love being an English student and I loved I loved I loved writing, learning, like mm-hmm. I loved the conversations in class and it, right. and so I was like, I'm going to do this. Okay. And then I got waitlisted at Columbia and I got into new school with like an academic scholarship, which I hadn't even applied for. Oh, no, wow. to people who are listening to this in college, like really develop relationships with some professors because it doesn't almost, I mean, it matters what college you go to, but if you have someone backing you up and helping you out along mm-hmm. the way, that makes a huge difference. And I'm, I went to Hobart William Smith for undergraduate. Okay. And my professor, minded on Professor Parker, I emailed Professor Parker yesterday. Mm. Their recommendations for me were so detailed and passionate and they helped me so much that I really credit them to where I am now. Okay. So, that's, a great, that's a great tip though. Yes. So I got into a new school and I was like, do I want to go here? Because also in my head, I was like, well, is grad school going to be a, you know, just sort of a something that's like a name brand. Like if I'm not getting into Columbia, do I even want to bother with new school? Yeah. Well, and here's what I have to say. Like, number one, if you are passionate about something, like going to a place where other people are passionate about it too and Mm -hmm. gives you that reinforcement is amazing. And number two, if you're not, if you're not positive, like I was like, maybe I'll do a professorship. Mainly I just wanted to go and get myself back in the writing sphere. Yes. New school was amazing because it has the flexibility where I entered and I thought I'd be going on to my PhD route. And I ended up graduating almost with an MFA. Like I wrote a book wow. during it and being around people who were like, I'm a professor, I'm going to be a, a um, scholar of Greek antiquity. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, if you're a scholar of Greek antiquity, like I can be a writer. You know, it was just... Yes. So exciting being around other people yeah. who show that passion. Yeah. Two-year program, and I almost felt like my heart was at rest for two years. Like, I was working wow. full-time and in school full-time, but I wasn't as depressed as I'd been because that need to write for me right. was satiated. How were you able to maintain both, though? Because most people will do part-time work, part-time school, full-time work, full-time school, you know? So how were you able to do full-time both? I mean, that's, that's a lot. I think the busier you are, sometimes the more, fe- more efficient you are. I look yeah. back on it now and I'm like, I would wake up at 5 a.m. to exercise, very self-loathing. But also <laughs> it was like the boutique, New York City, whatever, fitness classes. And then I'd go right. to work until 8. Then I'd go to classroom 8 till 11. And then once or twice a week, I'd go to the library and stay there till 6 a.m. And wow. I just did it. But I also really liked what I was doing. Like, I loved school. Yeah. And so You enjoyed your schedule. Just- you never, it, it didn't exhaust you because you were enjoying it. 
I enjoyed it. And I felt like I was working towards something I wanted to be in life. Yes. Okay. I think if I was getting my MBA and I was going to work and then afterwards I had to do like model, I have no idea what people do in their MBAs, obviously. <laughs> I did not go that route. Right. I think I'd be miserable, but I wasn't studying for tests. I was reading philosophy. I was reading novels. I was reading criticism and I was writing. Mm-hmm. So I enjoyed it a lot. And, you know, you got to, I mean, in college, I feel like a eureka moment was like, I don't need to pretend to be interested in art history anymore. Like I can right. only take English classes. And that's sort of true with grad school. You take classes you want to take. And that's yeah. why I feel like going to a school, taking something you're passionate about makes a difference there. Yes. And I graduated and I got this job at Audible, well, like an agency working for Audible. And they were like, this is going to be the perfect blend of your English background yeah. and your media backgrounds. And I was like, oh, I've nailed it. Mm-hmm. And I was miserable. And like one thing I feel like you should know is that if you want to do a creative profession, unless you're actually doing that creative creative thing, you're, it's never really what you think it is. It was like yeah. a lot of like accounting. And I was working on a Bruce Springsteen partnership for his memoir, Born to Run, which everyone should read. Incredible. It was a year into my Audible time. And I remember walking to work and being like, I could kill myself right now. I don't care. I was like, I could yeah. drop dead. I don't care about doing this anymore. Wow. I was like, I'm only working so I can maintain my apartment and travel on weekends. But yeah. like out of survival, that, that drive just left me. And I yeah. wouldn't, and I don't take it back in like early twenties. I think it was extremely important for me to yeah. be going out every night of the week and going to Jamaica on a whim. But mm-hmm. I do feel that, you know, my priorities sort of shifted where it was like, I really want to be a writer. And if I'm not going to do this now, I'll never do this. Yeah. And then when that Bruce Springsteen partnership fell through, which was so symbolic, looking back on it, that it was like the one program I was passionate about was my downfall. Heads rolled. I was let go. And then immediately the next day I got headhunted for all of these other positions in advertising. Wow. And I was like, no, like now is the time. I'm going to write. Wait, so did you put your information out there? How did all these people come to you? Just working in New York and having your LinkedIn and having like experience, people are always going to be looking for more people like that. Do you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. it's also a classic case of falling upward. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm like very privileged to like be like a white woman. Do you know what I mean? I can't imagine how much more difficult it is for people who are dealing with like sexuality or race, racial discrimination. Like it just sort of, it just felt like I was a cog in a machine Mm -hmm. that was just built to fit me in. Yeah. And I was like, I could keep to, and, but you know, with each new job, I'd be like, I'm going to care. But I think that one of the reasons I struck out on my own is that I care about something. I'm obsessive, like obsessive. And Mm -hmm. if I don't, I'm just not. And some people can have very happy lives advertising socks and it's, that doesn't define them. And they have all these other great things they do. Mm-hmm. But for me, like, I just wasn't satisfied and mm-hmm. I just, I moved home and ironically I was like, what do I have to give up? And I was like, well, I have to give up traveling because I can no longer afford to travel. Right. And then the greatest irony or serendipity, it turned out that now with this new job, with being a writer, I was able to travel to parts of the world that like, I thought I'd have to wait until I was unhappily on a honeymoon, you know, somewhere, yes. you know, I was like, unhappily I I'd on have a honeymoon. <laughs> yeah. You know? And yeah. so it all... I started out and I was like, I'm gonna get this book published, which is its own ball. The book that you wrote in school, in your uh, yes. graduate program. Yes. And so I was working with an agent. And one thing with trying to be a writer is that you really have to be, you have to be comfortable with rejection. Mm-hmm. I got lucky where like I sent it out to 10 agents and everyone was like, don't worry if nobody wants it, you know, mm-hmm. you will find someone. Someone did want it. And then I worked on them with, with them on edits. And then they were, I was waiting for her feedback. And while I was yeah. waiting for her feedback, I was like, I'm going to start freelance writing. Mm-hmm. So I started pitching 
to everyone. I had one of my best friends, Lizzie Brown, who's a writer. She helped me with learning how to pitch. Yeah. I felt very lucky to have that because I had a good friend who I would be like, is this working out? So my recommendation to, if you don't have any friends who are in the field, don't be super discouraged. There are a lot of different outlets where you can like, you can literally Google pitch template. Yeah. And just what you have to do is you have to make a website, which like I still spend hours on it. Mm -hmm. But I was lucky because I'd worked as a reporter that I had all these bylines. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I started out with my little website and I would send an email. Hi, my name's Catherine Parker Maggie. I'm a freelance writer focusing on culture, blah, blah, blah. Please see below for pitches and send some through. And suddenly like if I were having the day to day that I had then now two years later, I'd be like, oh God, this isn't working out for me. But at the time it was like, oh my God, I'm in the week. I'm in Pop Sugar. I'm in Elite Daily. So it wow. started to take off. Immediately then, or did it It did it kind of trickle in? Trickle, but I had some big moments, you know? And I think yeah. that's important to set because you don't have a boss, which right. like for me is lovely, but sometimes I wish I did. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. you don't have someone to say, slow down. This is a win. Yes. So, you know, when I got into Pop Sugar, I was able to write about refugees and I was able to write about, you know, women who didn't vote for Hillary Clinton and Mm -hmm. how they feel now Mm -hmm. and just write the hell out of every single assignment you get and this is a huge part you're not going to be if you you don't feel comfortable sharing your own work and calling yourself a writer nobody else is going to be right so it was almost like declaring I it was like declaring I'm a writer this is what I'm doing and I feel like there's a huge shift when I started sharing my stories on Instagram Facebook and yeah I wrote for pretty much no money for a couple friends luggage companies Mm -hmm. in travel so I thought I'd be able to get all my travel stories out like I'd smuggled a weapon across the Palestinian border I was without a passport in Jamaica oh wow okay (laughs) I had all these stories yeah it was quite difficult to break into travel and Travel is a hard industry to write, to get into, to be a writer, because it's very desired. A lot of people yeah, want to write about it's travel. It's super, yeah, exactly. It's so desirable because everyone thinks, everyone thinks it's a lot more glamorous than it is, which you and I talked about. But it is, I have to say, <laughs> it is quite glamorous like yes. when you get there, but it's work. When you but get like there, if, though. At the you're beginning, someone, you're not going on these trips and you're oh, not. Oh, yeah, no. I didn't even know what the, I didn't know what a press trip was. Like, right. so, but I was writing for my friend's company three times a week, getting paid about 20 bucks a story. Mm-hmm. And, but I built out a portfolio. Like mm-hmm. I wrote about dating. I wrote about, I would write about what's great about being a freelancer is, you know, you can write about anything, but truly if, unless if you're not on staff, the yeah. stories you're writing are your idea. So, I mean, I was writing about all these things and then I got discovered by um, the Kauai Visitors Bureau, saw mm-hmm. a story I wrote about text message breakups for Elite Daily, okay. went to my website and then they went to the travel section. They're like, oh, this girl writes a lot about travel. Mm-hmm. And they invited me to a luncheon. And then I just really vibed with the, my Kauaian host. Mm-hmm. And I ended up, they ended up taking a chance on me with Kauai and with Switzerland. Took a big chance on me in the sense that I wasn't writing for national publications yet. I was, you know, I couldn't confirm any assignments, but just with my passion and enthusiasm, they're like, this girl, this girl will write. Yeah. And it was on those trips that I met other editors Mm-hmm. And it's sort of serendipitous, but I also, you know, I worked hard for two years, a year and a half, which is quite short. And I recognize that now, yeah. you know, just hustling, hustling. And then, yeah, I got those big breaks. And now my focus has really been travel. 
So let's go back to like, cause I feel like you kind of leaped into this, which is incredible, but like how, what was that process like? So you left your job and you moved home. When did that come into the, how, when did you know that you wanted to do that? When did you know that that was what you had to do to pursue your passion? How did you come to that conclusion? I delayed it because I think like anyone else, the idea of removing, particularly at the age of 30, removing yourself from this prescribed path of safety yeah. is not one. People fantasize about it. Mm-hmm. But I got to say, like, for me, it was like a light bulb moment. It was mm-hmm. like, you went to grad school. And also I got a lot of, this is very important to you if you're pursuing something creative. Yeah. I got a lot of reinforcement. Like, you're a good writer that I need it. Like, I got it in college. Yeah. Then after college, oh, you know, that was quite strong. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be a writer and like that was just a life goal of mine and I was 30 and I was like if I don't do this now I'm never gonna do this and it was just I was just burnt out of trying to make something work that wasn't gonna work yeah I and it was it takes some delusion like I was like well when I sell my book which do I want to do do I want to buy a Jeep Wrangler or do I want to move to Paris like there wasn't like it, I didn't go into this being like, I am going to be fiscally insolvent and struggling the rest of my life. Right. I went into it being like, well, I'm going to be successful at this because I care about this and I'm going to hustle and I'm going to do it. Yes. And I find that that matters and that, that passion matters. And yes. so I'd say the driving force of becoming a writer, even though it was a eureka moment of I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to get this book published, it didn't yeah. end up with I'm, I became an author. It ended up with became, I became a travel writer, but I knew I wanted to become a writer. And I just had hit that point where it was like, now or never, which is a false choice. Like mm-hmm. Annie Prue, who's an amazing, amazing writer. She wrote Brokeback Mountain, The Shipping News. She didn't start writing until she was 50. Right. And I think that, I think that it's not like you have to do it at a certain point, but I was 30. I like wasn't in a serious relationship and I was yeah. sick of just doing, you know what I mean? And I do think part of it too is being single helps you break out on your own. I think in some level it can be nice if you have a partner and it's like, well, he's going to, or she's going to shoulder some of the fiscal. Yeah. But I couldn't have been dating anyone while I was building this thing. Yeah. So let's go back to you getting into this when you were 30. Cause I feel like some people, for some reason, 30 is such a scary number to some people. I don't get it. I mean, I'm 29, but like, I, I don't understand it, but a lot of people think, if I don't do this by 30 X, Y, Z. So the fact that you decided to pursue this when you were 30, like how, what, how was that? How, how were you feeling? Were you one of those people that had that timeline of 30 being like, I need to do X, Y, and Z by this age. Or were you just kind of like, now's the time to do it. And here I am. I think both. I mean, I think that the fear with turning 30 is that people put so much emphasis on your career in your twenties. There's a 30 under 30 Everyone mm-hmm. loved the hot young new thing, like Sally Rooney, the amazing Irish novelist. Like, I would read about people who are 23 and getting stuff done. And I think that it's sort of unspoken, but I do, people don't talk about this enough because people are like, 20s are for making the mistakes, 30s are for figuring it out. Mm-hmm. But I think when they say 30s are for figuring it out, like, I think 30 is the biggest decade for your career. Cause I do think that mm-hmm. unless you are really lucky or really driven or also like, I didn't have the guts to take a risk of taking a pay cut and being an editorial assistant, you know, and going from like a hundred K to like 20 K in my twenties, because I also had other priorities as mentioned, socializing as mentioned, not living at home. 
But I think that, yeah, there's this, uh, this idea that if you're going to be create successful, it's got to be in your 20s. And I think that's so antiquated because, because I think the reason people think that, particularly for women, I don't think you hear that for men as often, mm-hmm. is because it's like, well, your 30s are for dedicated to having kids and getting pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I think that at the end of the day, like, yeah, 20s are for mistakes. But like, I also feel like you sort of have to wear yourself out in the wrong direction before you get in the right one. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends who have gotten married who sort of have. And unfortunately, because it's hard to have like an ambitious two person, two career household where their dreams have sort of gone a little bit. And who's to say they're, they're probably happier. I don't know. I'm having a miserable week. So most likely this week, but (laughs) <laughs> there's this idea that you have to make those decisions by the time you're 20, because by the time you're married, it's, you're no longer able to prioritize yourself. Right. And then, yeah, I think that there's this idea of doing it in your twenties because in your thirties, you're going to want stability. Yeah. But for me, I felt, I felt the confidence to make myself unstable in my thirties because I'd had that stability. I knew what it would be like to continue working in advertising yeah. or continuing doing something that was somewhat creative and I wasn't satisfied by it. Yeah. So I think that, I also, I felt the same way. Like when I, when I got older every year, I was like, oh my God, I'm, what do I have to show for it? I'm one year older. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. And I was quite terrified to turn 30 because same, I felt it was like the end of the road. Mm-hmm. But then weirdly when I turned 30 and people don't say this enough either, like I felt young again. I was like, I'm 30. Yeah. <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? Like whatever. And I'd removed myself from this false timeline that I think a lot of people have, which is I've got to get this, this, and this done by 30. Yes. And when I realized that I wasn't on that timeline, I felt very free to pursue my own. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just, I mean, I cared about keeping up with the Joneses as much as anyone. Like it's much easier to have health insurance. It's much easier to not be living in your childhood bedroom for like a year. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> a year and a half. Yeah. And but that was a choice I was willing to make also because I felt like I went so hard in the other direction. Like I love New York city and I love my friends and I miss being able to see them as regularly, but like I'd gone out so much. Yes. I'd done all the things all the time. You know, I've been to like 32 bachelorette parties. Like it wasn't like, oh my gosh. I don't know that at 22, I could have been like, I'm going to live at home and finish this novel. And then even no. with travel, yeah. the past two years, I traveled the world like a plague was coming. Like when travel started taking off, I had, I again had a choice, which was, do I get a teaching position in New York City mm-hmm. and an apartment? Or, you know, and this was the very beginning. It's like, I'm getting these trip offers. Do I want to tie myself to an apartment or do I want to become a global nomad? I hate that term, but do I want to become yeah. a full-time travel writer? Right. And I went with the travel writing. Yeah. And for two years, like, I mean, amazing experiences, but I missed things that I don't know that I would have felt comfortable missing in my 20s. At that like, age, yeah. It was, you I needed a little maturity. Yeah. You need maturity. And I also think your 20s are very important for building community. Yeah. Like I have like a huge network of friends in New York that, and I have a lot of buddies everywhere now that I'm like, I need this to feel safe, to almost right. branch out on my own. Yeah. And in your 30s, you still need that. And I think that people always say it's harder to make friends in your 30s than your 20s. I don't know that I agree with that, particularly because I feel like I'm always, I love new people. It's yeah. Good. I'm a reporter. I want to know everything. But I do feel that for some people, for some personality types, perhaps it is more difficult. So yeah. I found that like traveling the world in my 30s, pursuing yeah. what I want to do in my 30s was almost easier. Got it. That makes perfect sense. And so, okay, so how long did you move home and where is home for you? Home is right outside New York, which made it much easier. I like would have like living arrangements that were sort of temporary. Like my friends would have a guest bedroom and I would stay yeah. there four nights a week. Okay. And I did that for about a year and a half. It's so funny. My timeline feels like so vague. I'm like, when did all this happen? But I was really only 
I gotta say, I this is nuts, but I feel like I quit my job in March or got let go. Uh, telling your own narrative is very important. Yes, you know what I mean? In my yeah. head, I'm like, I quit and I wandered off, but like, yeah. I think about this sometimes. I'm like, had they not let me go, how long would I have? You know, I do think yeah. things happen for a reason, but yeah, yeah, like I needed that kick maybe, but so probably in March. Mm-hmm. And then I was March writing of, like a, of what year? March of Jesus. Three years ago. Three, I don't know. Okay. Three marches ago. <laughs> Three marches ago. Okay. And then by April 2017. Yes. I was on my first trip. Do you know what I mean? Like it so happened, it happened like, quickly. It ha- I'm very lucky that I, it happened very quickly. Do you it was credit about a that year. to like having, you know, the contacts that you did to help you learn how to pitch and, you know, how to build your portfolio? Like, what do you credit that, uh, that quick movement to? Because I feel like people that want to get into travel writing, it takes a while. I credit to a couple things. First, it's I wanted to be a writer before I wanted to become a travel writer because mm-hmm. people who want to become, because travel writing is, what I love about travel writing the most is that you can write about so many different topics under the yeah. umbrella of travel. Yeah. And I'm so curious about other people. Mm-hmm. And I really believe that travel develops empathy. Like it's like Mark Twain has a quote, like travel is fatal for prejudice, hatred, for bigotry, hatredness, and narrow-mindedness. Like yeah. it's, and then it's hard for mankind to develop a charitable view of other people just festering in their own part of the world. Yeah. And for me, I grew up traveling a lot and like, moments that really made an impact on me. Like I remember, cause I come out to Wyoming a lot, like visiting Native American reservations or like mm-hmm. I was obsessed with Gone with the Wind as I think every like 13 year old had strong, like whatever. Mm-hmm. But I was like, Ooh, this is problematic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But then going yes. to the South and like 13, I watched Mississippi burning. And I went to the civil rights museum and like being like, this is like, this is insane. And now it's obviously, you know what I mean? Just yeah. and my mind was You're expanded. I'm very curious and I felt like whenever I came back from somewhere, I felt the need to share with everyone. Yeah. I'd say if you wanted to get into travel writing, do what I did, which was I wrote about places I'd already been to. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't been to that many places, write about where you're from. Yeah. And like do different takes on it. Like particularly now more than ever with like we're all doing domestic Mm-hmm. If you're from Oklahoma City, which is very cool, by the way, write about Oklahoma City. Yeah. This is hard because I think that, like, this is the second part of a career journey that I'm not fully equipped to talk about yet because I think women aren't great at, like, saying what their rates are. Mm-hmm. But oh, I'm yeah. telling you, like, be comfortable writing for very little, unfortunately, at the beginning. That is yeah. just going to happen. And then you'll work your way up from there. Yeah. But are you at the point where you are pretty firm on your rates and you're like, this is what I'm worth? Or are you still like, I want to accept as many opportunities as I can? Well, now I'm at a point where like, I don't write for free anymore. You know, and I'm still given those options to do so that maybe at the beginning I would have said yes to, but it just doesn't make sense for me to do it. And I really focus on the outlet. So I wrote for Forbes for several years and before that, I wrote for Brit & Co. And what I will say is you want to really develop a relationship with an editor. Mm-hmm. Like, if you get your first story. And, like, I mean, I'm not perfect. Like, sometimes I feel like the more I care about a story, the less likely I am to turn it in before midnight the day it's due. Because you're always researching. You're always researching. Right. But right. enthusiasm and, like, yeah, like, see, like, for Forbes and for Brit & Co., I was writing for them so regularly. And that was good. From yeah. my portfolio. Mm-hmm. I think one thing with travel is people want to see that you're writing all the time. Yeah. There are some people who want to get into travel writing and they write once a month or once every other month. 
Yeah. That's not going to fly because if you're writing once every other month, why would you be traveling more than once, twice a year? Do you yeah. know what I mean? People, yeah. you should be writing comparable to the amount that you're traveling. Mm-hmm. And the way that to torpedo your career is to travel and take too many trips and mm-hmm. not be able to write about them. So yes. now where I'm at is like, I'm trying to break into some, like I have my first story coming out for Departures Magazine, which like, um, really I'm very excited about. It's going to go online on the 28th. So I'm like, there are certain places that I really want to do. And What's like, the story about? Can you tell us? It's or? about the best road trips in the American West. I love it. And so that's another like, write about what's going on with you. Like, I mean, I'm very, you know, I love Wyoming. So yeah. it's very Wyoming centric. But I've also found that like, if you know a place and you go with your gut about the place, it's much better than sort of crowdsourcing. Like, okay, I got to include Zion because that's like, no, like if you know it and it speaks to you, use that. Yeah. Um, And then... I love first person narrative stories and, but I'm almost going back to the beginning of my cycle because um, now I'm pitching a ton and I got to get flex that muscle again. And it's very nerve wracking in a way to be like, I'm going to send this out. But my advice is literally don't overthink it. Unfortunately, like, cause it can be very easy to spend forever on a pitch. There are a couple pitches that I took two days on and I was like, this is gold. If they don't accept it, this is, and they don't, you know what I mean? And I'm like, Oh God. Yeah. And then there are some pitches where I'm like sleep deprived and like, I've got to get crosses off my to-do list and then they take it. So yeah. it's a numbers game. Send out a ton. Yeah. Obviously tailor it to your publication. Look at what's been published and try yes. to pitch similar stories. Yeah. Be open to editorial feedback, but also like, it's almost like now from my end, like when I receive stuff from a publicist, like from travel publicists, yeah. I'm not always going to take everything. I take very little actually. And mm-hmm. if that's the same with editors and journalists, you know? Right. And here's another thing. A lot of people, I think you want to be travel writers. Journalists in general have a glorified view of themselves yes. that I think doesn't serve you, especially in travel. Like if you go into something and you're like, and this is a very, I think it stems from insecurity. I think it also yes. stems from whatever. It's like, I've been to Peru 80 times before and this isn't up to snuff. It's like, yes. that is just people that's not, nobody's going to want to work with you because they're like, Ooh, this girl's discerning. They're going to be like, like, it's not your job to be unimpressed. Right. And it's really not your job. Like I try to work with countries mainly. Mm -hmm. And like, if I land in like, say St. Lucia, like I've heard people be like, I didn't find a story there. I'm like, did you walk outside? Cause like, it's not your job to be bored. It's your job to find the story. Yeah. And be easy to work with. Like, just like be nice. I have like these rules, like curious, kind, and vulnerable. Yeah. That's why I feel like people can't help but like you if you ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. If you're nice, like just don't be rude, which can be hard. I mean, everyone gets in bad news sometimes, but like really try to be a normal person and take it out on yourself internally. Don't take it out yes. on the people around you. Yeah. And then be vulnerable, right. which is being vulnerable to me is like asking questions and not worrying about, Oh, is this an obvious question? Usually yes. the most obvious questions elicit like most interesting responses. Like mm-hmm. sometimes I ask a question I know the answer to, but I want to know your take, you know, yeah, and yeah. make fun of yourself. That comes with vulnerability. Like be self-deprecating, just be, be open. And like when I started travel writing, I went through, I'd gone through a breakup right before I started doing this. So I felt extremely unhinged. I was like, yes. great. I've got no boyfriend, no where I'm living. Like <laughs> I'm literally on a plane all the time. And I would make fun of that. And like yeah. people would connect to that. Yes. And so, yeah. and so don't like, and travel is such a personal thing. And writing is, is that when you're talking to someone, you don't need to keep it. If it's a cab driver or if it's like an industry representative, or mm-hmm. if it's like your guide, you don't need to be like, well, what's your favorite restaurant? You can be, or is it busy? You could be like, talk about breakups, talk about death, like go, go deep. Yeah, life. People like that. Yes. People love that. 
So what was your first big feature? Like the, the first hard. one that made you really excited. You're like, I can't believe that my, my stuff is published here. The week. So I wrote about finances, which we've gone over how bad I am at it. But so uh, there's this thing called Binders full of full-time freelance writers on Facebook group. It's great. And they have call for pitches. And the week was like call for finance pitches. And I sent a couple through. And they were like, these are like, we want more on this line. So then Mm -hmm. I pitched a couple more and they took it. And my story was like, awesome. Honestly, I love these stories. And it was funny and very me. And it was in the week, which for me was like, that was like huge. I was like, wow, like I'm in the week. Yeah. Um, But I mean, there have been a couple moments like that, like Elite Daily getting my first pop sugar. And here's something I have to say, people really, and you'll even find this with travel writers. Yeah. I've written about travel for places that are not travel endemic. Do you know what I mean? And like, also like people can be super rude about female millennial publications and Mm -hmm. be like, ooh, an architectural digest. My first story for architectural digest. I was like, oh God. Yes. But, you know, I wasn't traveling the world on Arc Digest and The Week. I was traveling the world on, like, Brit & Co. Right. And sometimes people would just be, like, dismissive. And I'm, like, my editor at Brit & Co. is, like, just as good as yeah. my editor or better than, like, and all these other places. And, like, yeah. just because it's catered towards young women does not make it trivial. Yeah. And I find that to be so sexist and as a woman self-hating. But also, like if you act like you're only good enough for the New Yorker and you save your good work for the New Yorker, that's, that's bullshit. Do you know what I mean? Like my favorite story I've written was about my first trip to Kenya first. And like, you know, my first and only trip to Kenya. And it was my first time in Africa, like below Northern Africa. And it was life changing. And then there was all this stuff going into it where I was like, I want to write about this in a way that really captures it. Yeah. And and there's also these, like, you know, you get nervous to be like, oh, I don't want to write white girl goes to Africa story. Exactly. And then people are going to be, but then that, then the flip side of that is I'm not going to write 10 things not to do on safari. Right. So, but the story I wrote and the story that I was like really excited about, like, I mean, I pretty much was like the story of the people that I met. I went to Nairobi and Yuki Masai Mara. I met the deputy president. Wow. So it was like, I was called like, why now is the time to come home to, to Africa? Because mm-hmm. when I landed, the deputy president was like, welcome home. And he goes, doesn't matter if you're from Asia, if you're from Europe, if you're from South America, when you come to Kenya, Kenya is the birthplace of mankind. Wow. You're coming home. Like, and it was yeah. just so beautiful. And the whole time I was there, I really felt this. I cried every day. I loved it. I felt wow. such an Im- immense connection to where mm-hmm. I was. And, the pe- and Kenyan humor is like, it's just like very self-deprecating, do you yeah. know what I mean? And like I, I vibe with that. And from, yeah. like, I have three siblings, like I'm from a family of six. Everyone's always making fun of me. And like, yes, you know, <laughs> people are also excited by your excitement. Like I was crying at these zebras and Kepa, my guy, was like, these are literally the donkeys of yeah. the African bush. <laughs> like, what's your problem? Yeah. And like, and I feel like sometimes people don't tell the story of a place. Yes. And that's number one a problem because they're not enough. I mean, I used this story like 15 black travel writers to read now because there are yeah. So many amazing black travelers, travel, that. That writers, travel editors. And, but you know, people have heard enough of stories that are like, like, I want to put my own personal thing on it because yeah. I think that ties people in. What are your, your, your solo travel tips? I will say, so last summer is when I started solo travel and I loved it. Like I, I think, and I'm such a people person. I like being around people. But once I started solo traveling, I kind of was like, this is actually the way to go. So what are your, yeah. what are your thoughts on solo travel? Because I, I enjoy it. And I know a lot of people are a little bit nervous about it. Um, you know, they're like, am I going to be bored? Am I going to meet people who's going to take my photos? Like what, what are your solo travel tips? 
Honestly, mine are to book yourself nine till nine. And that's so opposite of so many people. Like, I like just land in a country and explore. Yes. I find that's very difficult for me to do. I yeah. have ADD, number one. Like, I am not going to be. But also, like, I feel like it's so easy if you're in another place, so you don't have someone else keeping you accountable to scroll Instagram or like go yes. on a deep dive about yeah. like Real Housewives of Beverly Hills drama when you're in New Zealand. Like book right. yourself. And for me, like what I found is that if you're going to do solo travel, yeah, I think it's the best to do an activity. Like my best times where I've gone and knowing no one, like this trek in Peru, this trek in Nepal, I would never have said, oh, I'm an adventure travel writer just because there's it's super, like, they're so gendered, like, this idea, like, I mean, my friend Cassandra Clue, she's an adventure traveler, and she has this great stuff on it, too, like, there's this idea you can't wear lipstick, and you can't be trivial, and, like, mm-hmm. but I find that if you're doing outdoor travel and adventure, immersive travel, you can't help but be fully in it. Like, when I was in the Amazon, right. and, like, there's no Wi-Fi, like, lose the Wi-Fi, go on a track. If you're not up for trekking, go on a nature cruise. Yeah. Go on, like, some sort of, you know, for me, at least, that's how I can do solo travel. Okay. And part of the reason is because I want to built in local friends. Yeah. And- so that was my other question. How do you go about meeting people and, and uh, like diving into the local experiences versus doing the touristy things that everyone does? I like the local experiences when I travel. It starts. So there are a couple ways, but I think the easiest way to get that is to book a trip where your guide, like in the Amazon, our guides were from the Amazon. In Nepal, mm-hmm. obviously our guides from the so you recommend having guides? Yes. Yes. Okay, and like okay. local, like at the end of the day, like you don't need like an American girl taking you around Austria. Do you know what I mean? Doesn't like, makes sense. Have you ever felt like, have you ever felt unsafe while traveling? Cause I have heard, you know, stories of, and I haven't experienced too much of this, but friends that have traveled to places and have had really weird cab rides or just weird interactions. Have you ever experienced any of that as a female solo traveler? I have a lot of trust, which maybe is crazy, but also though, like, I think that's why making friends is so important. Like I've I've been in a lot of places where I've been like alone, but I've established a rapport Mm -hmm. with at least one human that I'm like, this person's got my back, you know? And also if you're kind about a country and about a place and you're curious, people are going to want to show you the best parts of that place or I don't know. I've been in a lot of situations where I'm like, this could be sketchy. I'm just going to trust it. And it works. Yeah. But also, and this is like, and I mean, this is like hard because obviously they're outlining things, but yeah. if you humanize yourself to someone and they look at you as a person, yeah. I find you're going to be less likely to be in danger. Yeah. So, I mean, if you feel nervous, I advocate being friendly and like not shutting up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. when I felt nervous, I'm like, For so sure. then this, so then yeah. what about this, you know, yeah. and they're like, oh my God. Yeah. And <laughs> we'll leave her alone. <laughs> but people are good. Like truly, yes. I find people are fundamentally good around the world. I yeah. truly feel that way. I do think it, I mean, it, I think it's good to have that trust, but also to, to be on your P's and Q's when you are traveling alone and just like use street smarts. Don't be like weary of everyone. Just be, just use street smarts. Use street smarts, but be careful. If you look too nervous, I think. Yeah. I think that's a bad someone. Right. So in the current state of travel, like what, what are you doing now? What, what are your stories about? Where are you traveling? Are you traveling anywhere? Are you kind of staying put? I'm looking to stay put till the end of the year. Okay. And focusing a lot on road trips. Okay. So, and, and I cover the Caribbean for trip savvy. So I'm still covering Caribbean travel. Okay. 
and I'm really playing it by ear because like I'm lucky that I've traveled so many places that like I don't need to go there to You've write got stories. stories. Just yeah. I've got stories lined up. Yeah. But I am gonna see what it looks like for next year. Okay. Because and I think just like everyone else, it's week by week. Like I do think travel will bounce bounce back in a major way. Yeah. I do think that there are some places where it's safer to almost travel. Yeah. But it is to just meander because I mean, South, I mean, no offense, to South Dakota. Maybe they, but like South Dakota, when I went through, like wasn't wearing any masks. Yeah. And like I was in a in a motel in Minnesota that like the owner was a COVID denier. And I do think that like, and unfortunately, yeah. this is where we're going to see a, a gap between luxury and budget travel. But like luxury entities have more of the funding to yes. prioritize safety. Yes. And so I think there's going to be a spike in that mm-hmm. in the terms of like, but I think it's going to be interesting to see, like, I think that when we are able to travel again, like I know just for me, like I'd always wanted to go to Antarctica. I wasn't able to go last fall. I'm like, I'm going to try to get myself to these places. Yeah. So in a normal world, which we're not in right now, how much of your time do you spend traveling? How much of your time do you spend at home? And my, I have a follow-up question to that. How consistent is your home? Because you're in Wyoming right now. Like how, are you going to be there for long? Are you planning on leaving if things yeah. are up? Like, when I was traveling full time, I'd say I'd be home five days and away 20 days. Like insane. Wow. Like I'd have months where I was gone. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I like to wrap up each show with um, a shot, which is something small and strong that you want to pass on. A piece of advice, people that want to pursue travel writing, people that want to um, just travel, just see more of the world. What, and you've given so much advice already, which has been so helpful, I'm sure, to people that are aspirational travel writers, but what's a shot that you want to pass on? Okay, I'm gonna quote Bill Murray here. Okay. With his one line, he says, I try to be available for life to happen to me. And I feel like that's huge with travel writing, traveling, say yes. Yes. But also like when you're starting out on your own, in your own career, don't have a rigid idea. Like have it at like, don't have a rigid idea of where you think you're going to end up because I always wanted to be a travel writer, but I thought it was such an unrealistic goal. Like I thought being a travel writer is like being a rock star. Like I would read about someone went to Nepal and wrote a story. I'm like, it made me piss. (laughs) You know what I mean? I was like, I'll never be that. And I ended up there because I feel like enthusiasm and I was just like available for things like, and on trips, you're going to, and you're, whenever you travel, you're going to come away with a million stories, Mm -hmm. but you can shut yourself off to the best story by chasing down what you think it's going to be. Like I research before I go to a country, but I don't do that much. Like I really don't. I don't want to read other people's takes on a city. I want to go in and feel it out. And I want to, I want to see what my own associations are. And And that goes with sit, trusting people. You know, someone's gonna write in and be like, "You're this is a recipe to getting kidnapped." Yeah. But you know, I forget in Thirty Rock, they're like, "Never trust a hit, never follow a hippie to a second location." Yeah. I follow that hippie to like the seventh location, you know, yeah. and just try to be available, try to be up, try to keep a positive attitude, and yeah, like opportunities will come. Be a yes person and be like an enthusiastic person because yeah. people like people want to be around positivity. People want to be around other people who make them feel good. Yeah, and I think that's a huge part of the NSA travel writing is also vacationing. Like yeah. people don't want to go somewhere with you right. and like explore this like canyon if you've just got a bad attitude the whole time. You yeah. know, be positive and be available for life to happen to you. I good. love that. And what I love about our conversation is I feel like you've made travel writing seem not not easy to get into, but so much more attainable. 
you know, like, like there, there is a way for people that are aspiring to do it, but also you have to be in it for the right reasons. That, that's been my yeah. main takeaway is that you have to yes. actually truly enjoy the writing and writing about travel and not be in it for the perks and the trips and the, and all that because it comes, yeah. but it's, that's not what it's about. If you're in it for the trips, become an influencer. <laughs> yes. I mean, or yeah. don't, or, so or don't maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much, Katie. I have so enjoyed this conversation and you are making me so excited for hopefully when the world opens back up and we can actually yes. leave the US again. Like not, not that I haven't enjoyed exploring this country because I've gone to new places here um, and I, I really enjoyed being forced to travel within the US, but I'm ready to go. Me so. too. So fingers crossed that, you know, we have a um, positive outcome with the election and things start to open up next. Yes. Um, thank you so much, Katie. 